We are Meng Hong and Erica Lim. Today's reading will be from Genesis chapter 1. 创世纪第一章一到二节，二十六到三十一节。Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, 26 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 神说,看啊,我将遍地一切结种子的菜蔬和一切树上 and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Minhong and Erica. I love hearing God's word in other languages like uh, English. We are uh, blessed to have God's word in English because we are now part of God's people by his grace and his love to the nations. Uh, let me ask you, it's uh, now about uh, just three weeks till Christmas. How many of you are ready for Christmas? Oh, the kids are raising their hands. Yeah, we're ready for Christmas, of course. Parents, maybe not so much, right. 
Uh, Christmas uh, makes us a little nostalgic. It can also make us a, a little harried and stressed at times. Uh, the kids get excited this time of year, and uh, maybe we remember uh, Christmases that we enjoyed when we were kids. Uh, I definitely remember always traveling to Oklahoma to visit my mom's parents and uh, driving up to their home. They had this uh, big evergreen by the front door, and it had this string of uh, blue light bulbs on it. Not like the ones we have nowadays, if you remember, uh, if you were old enough, the really big ones like the size of your thumb that were made out of glass and uh, they, they got up to like 200 degrees Fahrenheit, you get a tan from them uh, or, uh, you know, surface burns. And uh, then inside in the tree that they would decorate, uh, they had some of those little uh, bubbler lights. Anyone remember those? Uh, they had, it was like little tubes of water and, uh, and colors around them. And so the, the light bulb inside would heat up the water and, and it would bubble up. And I'm not making this up. We did not have video games. Uh, when we were kids, we watched Water Boil for Christmas. <laughs> and we liked it. My mom always wanted to go out and uh, see the Christmas light displays on people's homes. I never got the attraction of that, especially, you know, when I was like 18 or 20 or 30 or 40. Uh, she would want us to drive her around and go look at the lights. And I'm feeling like, hey, there's a house with lights on it. And hey, there's a house with lights on it. And hey, there's a house. And they decorated it with lights. And you know, mom was always complaining, like, you're driving too fast, I can't see them. Like, it's a house with lights on it. I, I you know, I don't wonder if some of it was just, uh, the, for her it was the beauty, the creativity. Uh, maybe it was just the relational part, you know. Let's go out and do something together as a family. Let's, uh, let's connect with other people. I, I think all of that kind of comes together in different ways around this time of year, doesn't it? We have this longing for family, a longing for connection, uh, relationship, a, a longing for meaning and, and hope and uh, purpose, something bigger than ourselves, a longing for beauty and, and joy, and, uh, and, and yet we know that the, the trees and the toys and, and the food, as good as they are, they never really ultimately satisfy us because we keep coming back, looking, you know, hoping that the next one's going to do it, Right? Christmas raises all these uh, longings and desires and, and, and hopes in us that it never seems to satisfy. Now, we're coming into this season of Christmas that's ultimately, of course, about Jesus' birth, about his entering into the world. But what we're looking at this year in December, in this season of Advent, is this kind of idea that we really can't appreciate what that means without understanding how it fits into the whole story, in a sense. Have, have you ever uh, come into a, a book or a TV show or movie in the middle of the story? Or maybe you're sitting with my wife watching a TV show, and she's always asking, who's that guy? Where did she come from? What's going on there? What did he say? And what's going to happen next? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't seen it. You come into a, a book in the middle of the story. You don't know who the characters are. Uh, you come into a conversation in the middle and you can't contribute meaningfully because you don't know what's been said, you don't know the context. And if we come to Christmas with the, the baby already in the manger, we, we don't have the context for it. We, we don't really appreciate what's going on and the significance of what's really happening. 
Who is Jesus? Why is he being born? And why is his birth, why is his entry into this world so significant and, and amazing? And, and, and what did he come to do? And, and why is he here? And what's the background? And what's he ultimately going to accomplish? Those are the things that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks of December. And, and today we want to start by going back to the beginning, to the foundation of the story, to prepare for Jesus' birth by looking at the the drama of what the Bible is really about, the big picture. And and today we're starting at the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 1, and that's on page 1 of your Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can grab one of those black Bibles in the seat underneath you. If you need one in a language other than English, we have some at the back of the worship center. We'd be glad to get you one of those. Here's the context. In just about any worldview that uh, you think of, uh, creation, existence, it all begins with power. Whether uh, it's God who creates, and because he creates, he has authority over what he's created, right? Uh, when I, my kids were little, uh, sometimes they would, you know, just, why, why, why? And sometimes the answer was, because I'm dad, because I'm bigger, you know, that's just a claim to authority and power. And whether or not it's a religious worldview, if, if it's materialism or naturalism, if, there, if there's a big bang and suddenly everything explodes into existence and, and there's no ultimate meaning or purpose, then it's nature red and tooth and claw and survival of the fittest, right? And then all relationships are about power and who gets the power and who gets to use the power and who's under the power, and we've seen lots of stories in the news recently, unfortunately, about how power can be abused and how authority by itself is not a good foundation. Only Christianity, only the Bible, tells us a story that begins with relationship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, right, just like all the other stories, but The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a distinction between God and the Spirit of God. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, if we jump forward all the way to John's gospel, it's not obvious here, but John tells us in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so as Christians, we hear God's word going out and understand that to be Jesus involved in creating everything. So here we have this picture of Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship. God within himself involved in creation. Christianity at the beginning says the whole nature of existence is relationship. And and that's even more obvious in verse 26, when God says, let us make man in our image. Who who is us? Well, it's Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not the editorial we. It's not the royal we. God's not talking to angels. We're not made in angels' image. We're made in the image of the Trinitarian God. Christianity says before there was anything, the Father, Son, and Spirit existed together in a circle of relationship, and in creating, he is drawing us into that circle. 
of relationship with him. Adam and Eve, now made in God's image, are brought into relationship with God. And that is life. To know God. To walk with him. To follow him. The whole universe is an overflow of the relationship that God has in himself. And we have this longing in us for connection, for relationship. Moses even mentions here that God makes man and woman together in his image after God's likeness. It's a reminder that we can't do this on our own. We need one another. Fundamentally, at our core, we are made for relationship. We can't even reflect God's image wholly on our own. And no matter how difficult and frustrating relationships can be at time, we know that we are made to connect, to be known, to love and to be loved, to care and to be cared for, to, to matter to someone else. This whole idea of home, the home that God created for us, tells us, points us to the fact that we're made for relationship because God is a person. This longing for home and connection is about something planted deep within us. We're made to have an impact in other people's lives. We're, we're made longing for this sense of identity and security and significance. And, and Christmas reminds us of that. That we're, we're made to have others to share meaningful moments with. That, that's what makes home and Christmas so powerful, right? We, we want to have others around the table with us, to experience it with us, to share our lives with one another. You know, we talk about uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and, and, that, and that can be true in a lot of ways. But for a lot of people, it, it's not like that. For a lot of people, the holidays can be lonely and alienating and, and difficult and disappointing, often because of brokenness or loss in, in family and in relationships. Many of us have that cousin, that in-law that, that's hard to love, somebody maybe you don't look forward to, to getting together with at Christmas. Other people experience deep loneliness because they don't have someone in their lives. Here in Genesis... God is giving us this picture of a home that he is creating for his people, made in his image, where he invites us into relationship with him and with others. That's what God wants us to know, the home that he has for us. You know, I think back to Christmases that, that I've experienced, and there are some presents that I can remember, you know, that were really special at the time, but... If I could rewind the clock and have something back, it, it wouldn't be the stuff. It would be the time with people that matter to us, wouldn't it? And listen, to, to disciples that have left everything to follow him, Jesus says, no one who has had to turn their back on family, no one who's been rejected by their family, who has lost houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers, or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. 
will not receive a hundred times as many lands and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Do you get what Jesus is saying here? Even if your natural family is a mess, if you are with Jesus, then you have a family. You have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, and children who, like you, are united to Jesus by faith. God has given us a family in the church where, where we can even start to find healing and encouragement in all the dysfunction and all the brokenness that, that we experience in other relationships. And, and yeah, sure, just like our natural families, the, the church has its own problems too, right? Uh, I, I love that old saying, to dwell above with the saints in love, boy, that will be the glory. To dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> you know, it's true, but, but at the same time, we know that Jesus has promised he is going to complete the work that he has begun in every one of us. And so that means now, instead of cynicism and discouragement and rejection and bitterness. Now we can live with hope. Hope for ourselves, hope for one another. We can live with confidence that, that one day we will be what we are not yet. And it gives us a vision for a home that, that we can even experience now. What, what, if, what if a church home was a community where there were no single people? Because everyone who's unmarried is a family to one another. We're brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and aunts and uncles and parents all to one another. And what if no parents felt the burden of raising children on their own but because their kids have a hundred grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and, and brothers and sisters and we're all in this together. What if, what if this is a home where we could find refuge and encouragement from all the loneliness and the brokenness. A place where I could be known and loved and understood. That's the home that God's inviting us to, that God wants us to know in Him. And the more that we come to know that God, the more that we come to live in Him, the more equipped and empowered and, and encouraged we are to love and bless and support and shelter and forgive and, and lay down our lives and comfort and counsel and, and weep and rejoice with one another. So, so now, you know, instead of being a, a pain in the neck that we put up with, Aunt Ruth becomes a, a target for our love. And instead of, you know, just gritting our teeth or rolling our eyes at, uh, you know, annoying cousin Larry or whoever, now we're looking for ways to, to bless him and encourage him and draw him into the circle of, of love and relationship. You were made, God is saying, to find a home in God and, and now in this family. And that helps me deal with the inevitable disappointment of relationships that are never going to fulfill me in this life, right? Right? Because you weren't made ultimately to have all those relational needs fulfilled by a spouse or a kid or, or, or a friend or a child. Because only God can give you security and identity 
like that. Only God can give you unconditional, perfect love like that. And that means now the pressure is off too. I don't have to be the perfect husband. I don't have to be the perfect son, the perfect father, the perfect friend, the perfect brother, or have the perfect holiday get-together. Because my home is in Christ. In the busyness of December and everything you know, that's still on our to-do list, maybe if nothing else, one thing to remind ourselves of is, is one of the biggest goals of this season is people. You matter to God. And people matter to God. Home reflects that God is a person. And then home points us also to God's provision. To God's provision. Moses, the the author of Genesis, is telling us that that we are part of a story that is bigger than us. And and we get hints of it, especially at this time of year, don't we? When you hear beautiful music that that maybe sometimes can just make you weep with joy or stir your soul. When when you see a, a beautifully decorated house because of the lights that somebody has strung all over it. And maybe they've coordinated it, you know, to, to Trans-Siberian Orchestra or whatever on your radio. I mean, people get really creative this time of year, right? That, that delicious food that we put so much effort into preparing and the presence and the thoughtfulness that goes into it. It's pointing us to these longings in us for something bigger than ourselves. A story that is bigger than ourselves. It points us to an ultimate beauty and an ultimate joy. That those things are... are hints and shadows and and echoes of it and you are made to be a part of that and to experience it and to reflect it look at how Moses describes this world that God creates it's full of all kinds of living creatures and all this creativity in the earth and the sea and and in the sky and 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 they reproduce according to their kinds and and God provides food Everything that we need in abundance. There's a world that's being pictured here that is full of grace and beauty and joy and delight. Because that's what God is like. It's a a reflection of Him, right? And, And that means that's true of you too. Every single one of you is a unique creation of God. There is no one else like you, and there will never be anyone else like you again. You have unique gifts, unique abilities. Yes, unique sorrows and unique scars that God can even redeem. But it's all because of God's goodness and a reflection of who He is. And sadly, unfortunately, that that creativity, that uniqueness of God, sometimes we end up using it in the wrong way. I mean, now we live in a world of deforestation and pollution and overfishing and strip mining. And, you know, there's an ongoing concern as to whether or not our uh, energy production is changing the the very environment and making life even sustainable on this planet. Now, Tom's going to get more into that next week as as we look into the next chapter of of what's gone wrong. But but all that creativity, all that opportunity to to rule the earth, to subdue it, to exercise dominion, it's it's meant to be guided by God's purposes and character. But that creativity can become selfless and self-guided and sinful. You know, we live in a world full of all kinds of 
attractive, destructive, sinful creativity, don't we? And that means we need discernment, we need wisdom, we need guidance from God about how to use and, and how to take in what we have and, and what others produce. Or sometimes we, you know, we use the, the goodness of what God's created just to please ourselves and, and not even to look beyond that to others. And, and even when we're not being selfish, you know, sometimes we just kind of miss the mark. I mean, I, my mom was really generous and thoughtful, but not very good at giving Christmas and birthday gifts, honestly. Um, anyone remember Big Mouth Billy Bass? I love music, I'm fascinated with electronics, and I'm okay with fish, but, you know, hitting the alignment of those three things together is, is a little tricky. So Big Mouth Billy Bass was this little rubbery animatronic fish that looked like it, you know, was set on a trophy, and, and it was sound activated, and it would open its mouth and turn its head and start singing, don't worry, be happy. Like, okay, mom, thanks, that's, that's creative, and some of you are not saying anything because you maybe still have one. Uh, one year, and this will tell you how long ago this was, uh, mom gave us a VHS cassette. It was like a two-hour recording of uh, a cozy fire burning in a fireplace, you know, so you're supposed to pop it in the VCR and sit back and relax, and we lived in a place that had a wood-burning fireplace. (laughs) Okay, we got it in stereo now, I guess. you know, I wouldn't, a wooden coat hanger one year that was painted to look like a mallard duck and, and like the wings were where you hung your coat and the bill was supposed to go over the top of the curtain rod. And I'm just like, where, where do you find these things? And you just smile and, and you say thank you, right? I, sometimes we miss it, right? But look, this, this world that, that's being pictured for us here, it works right. It's the way it's supposed to be. Everything is good, and it's pleasing, and it's delightful, and it's perfect, and it reflects a God who is full of grace and beauty and creativity and care, and he knows what we need. Did you see that? Everything that God has created is suited for the people he's made in his image, and everything that he's made in his image I'm going to get Christmas gifts. I'm probably going to give Christmas gifts that are you know, going to end up in a white elephant exchange at some point. That's not how God works. He knows what we need. He gives good gifts. And our hearts long for that, to, to long to be in a home with a father who knows what we need and is generous and good. And that's the picture that we get here. And And especially in this season where I can get stressed out and overwhelmed and too busy and frustrated, you know, in the middle of a season of gratitude and worship, right? That's a humbling reminder that that what God is telling us here is this season really should be a reminder that just because we had Thanksgiving a week and a half ago, this really should be about Thanksgiving and gratitude and worship because God has created a home that is good, because he is good. And that can be hard to see sometimes, because life can be difficult and disappointing. Uh, Our oldest daughter, Jackie, uh, lives with us. Uh, She works down at St. Vincent's on 86, and uh, man, I've had experiences like this. She got told uh, last week 
through no fault of her own, somebody had given her some uh, bad instructions on a research project that she had been working on. And so about 80% of the work that she's been doing for the last month is literally wasted. It's just gone. And you have to start the project all over again and, and do it with these different parameters. Man, that is beyond frustrating. I mean, that's demoralizing. That's defeating. Why did I do all that? What is this about? Why did I even bother? See, we long to know that there's a home, there's a world for us that has a purpose to it as well. That, that my life makes a difference, that I'm accomplishing something. Moses again says, back in the very beginning, the earth was without form and void. Literally, it means it's, it's an uninhabitable wilderness is kind of the picture. Now, think about that for a second. It's not uninhabitable for God, right? I mean, God's spirit. He doesn't need a world to inhabit. So why that, why that reference? Why that description? Because it's looking forward to the fact that God is creating a world for us. There's a purpose in mind to what God is going to do here. You have a role to play. This world is not just created for you, but we now have a role to live out in it and a purpose in it. It's not just that there is a big picture, but God wants us to understand that, that we have a part in the story. This longing for home points us to God's purpose for us too. There's a purpose for us. We are made in God's image with a unique role and calling. Look in verse 28. God commands the man and the woman and blesses them and says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the birds, everything that lives and moves on the earth. Be fruitful, fill the earth. Not just physically. I mean, we're starting to look at the reality that the earth has a, has a load capacity. There, you know, Seven billion people is a lot for this planet. So we've taken that command literally. So that, that's part of it, certainly. But I think what God's getting at here is that he's saying, fill the earth with a reflection of what I am like. Fill the earth with my goodness, my purposes, my character in what you're doing, in the way that you are exercising dominion. Fill the earth with blessing and joy and life and peace and wholeness. The, the word subdue here, according to scholars Barry Asmus and Wayne Grudem, literally means to go out and make the earth useful for human beings' benefit and enjoyment. Make the world a place where human beings will flourish. It, it's this biblical idea of shalom, not just peace, but wholeness, that everything works the way it's supposed to, that God created a home so that we would reflect his blessing and his character and his grace and his joy and his life in everything that we do. That's our job description. Whether we're students or retirees or homemakers or policemen or lawyers or entrepreneurs or engineers or musicians or doctors, 
That's our job description, to bring wholeness, to bring shalom in all the places that God takes us. God creates this world and everything works right. And that's his design, that's his desire for our families, for our communities, for our church, for our callings. Making more shalom, making God's wholeness expand out into the world is Adam and Eve's job description and we've inherited it from them as their children. God reveals through his word his pattern for what that looks like and and then he empowers us through his spirit as his people to go out and live it out. So so that now, whatever we're doing in our daily life could be aligned with God's purposes and character. For 16 years, John Stewart hosted uh, The Daily Show, a new satire program that he created. Now, whether or not you agree with his politics or whether or not you like the program, we can probably at least acknowledge that Stewart is is funny, he's uh, creative, and uh, very talented. The, The Daily Show won 18 Emmy Awards. It won two Peabody Awards for election coverage. Stewart changed the way that people look at news and uh, politics. He helped shape the culture. He launched the careers of a lot of people. And in 2015, Stewart announced that he was retiring. Uh, Stephen Colbert, who had started out under Stewart, uh, had become one of his closest friends and mentors. I think he, what does he do now, the Late Show or the Tonight Show or one of those. Um, Colbert shows up in in this clip that we're going to look at to offer a few words of appreciation uh, and, and affirmation to his friend and his mentor. Watch this. He said to me and to many other people here years ago, never yes. to thank you because yes. we owe you nothing. Thank it is one you. of the right. few times I've known you to be dead wrong. We owe you because we learn from you. We learn from you, by example, how to do a show with intention, how to work with clarity, how to treat people with respect. You are infuriatingly good at your job, okay? All of us who were lucky enough to work with you for 16 years are better at our jobs because we got to watch you do yours, and we are better people for having known you. Now, John Stewart does not claim to be a Christian. Uh, the show is certainly not a Christian show, but do you hear the echoes of, of purpose in, in what Stephen Colbert is saying about him? I learned how to be better at what I was called to do by watching you, and I learned how to be a better person by being around you. That's what God is talking about here. That's purpose. That that we are called to invest in other people to reflect God's character, God's goodness, God's life, God's joy, God's wholeness. That's what we want, isn't it? to know that we've made a difference in somebody else's life. To know that we did our job well, that we helped others learn, that that we could help other people grow and succeed and and become better people themselves. That's our job description that God's giving us here. That's the kind of home that God has made for us in this world to live in. And, And maybe... That looks like training someone else at your work to help them become better at their job. Maybe it's even modeling a healthy work-life balance for others around you in in this crazy, hectic season. Maybe it's changing the focus 
of this season just in general to make it about this, to make it about people and provision and purpose, to bless others, to reflect God's grace, to pass on what we've experienced of God's goodness. The Bible begins with the creation of all things and ends with the renewal of all things. And in between, it it gives a comprehensive explanation for everything that we experience. It's the only story that explains the way things were, the way things are, the way things could be, and the way things will be one day. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this month of December. But Sometimes we forget that story, and we lose it, right? There's a, there's a book in the Bible that tells about one man's quest to try and find meaning, significance in relationships, in accomplishments, in, in pleasure, in achievement. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but more and more I'm beginning to wonder if we're meant to take that literally. He had 700 wives and and 300 concubines. Um, So many questions. I mean, how does that even work, right? Like, how do you have that discussion? Uh, You know, you're the woman for me, except for these 600 other ones. I I hope, you know, I just, I want us to be open to dating like 900 other people, if that's okay with you. I mean, that's crazy, right? Solomon is one of the richest men who ever lived. I mean, you'd almost have to be to have a thousand women in, in your retinue, right? He built huge palaces and temples and undertook massive building projects. He was a successful leader. He expanded Israel's borders to the greatest extent they knew in its history. The country was respected and at peace. He, he had 4,000 horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And, and the Bible said gold and silver were as common in Jerusalem as stones. He wrote popular songs, he wrote poetry, he he wrote amazingly insightful wisdom, and and yet at the end of it, as we, in this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says all of it, it was was nothing, it was like mist, it was vanity, it was chasing after the wind. None of it satisfied him. I I mean, for one thing, if you've got 700 wives, you probably, you obviously got some commitment problems, Right? And, and he falls into this trap. Maybe, maybe the next conquest, maybe the next building project, maybe the next person, maybe the next thing, maybe the next career advancement, maybe the next pile of money. That'll do it. And he got to the end of his life wondering, does any of it even matter? And, and I think we're meant to understand that as a reflection of the fact that he was looking for those things to give him the sense of home, the sense of relationship and significance and purpose and maybe this wife will be the one maybe more horses maybe more money and and maybe we can do that with Christmas too sometimes this year Christmas is going to be perfect this year we're going to get everyone together this year everyone's going to get along this year we're going to get the perfect gift this year we're going to have the perfect get together this year the tree's going to look perfect and None of it's wrong in itself, right? But God gives us identity. God gives us purpose. God gives us blessing. God gives us satisfaction with him. All those longings are meant to find our home in Jesus. 
Jesus is the home that our hearts long for. It's not just that Jesus is the creator. He's the story. You see, he's the goal. He's the end point of it all. He's the purpose. He's the reason. He's the answer. He's the home that God means for us to find in him. Home is such a powerful word, isn't it? Relationship, love, beauty, security, identity, purpose. This Advent season, can can we let all those longings and desires for home, for relationship, for, for blessing, for purpose, can we let God, ask God to help us point those things towards Christ to find our fulfillment, our home in him? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, you, you've not just given us our word to, to tell us what to do, to, to straighten up, to, to fix things. Uh, thank you that this story is really about you, about the life that you have in yourself, the, the joy and the blessing and the wholeness that, that, that pours out of you into the world that you've made to, to make a home that is designed to satisfy us in the deepest places. Father, we can all acknowledge ways that that we've been running, looking for those answers in so many places, and especially in this season, there's so many temptations to do that. Lord, would you help us to look for you as our home, the home where we find undeserved love, eternal purpose, and deep blessing and provision for everything that we need. Help us to find that in you through your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.